Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. This is the last sermon in our Seriously Jesus uh, sermon series, the fifth and last sermon. We're talking about some of the outrageous statements Jesus made, the outrageous demands of Jesus. Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9 describe the, the same event in Jesus' life through, the lens, to, through two different lenses. One, the lens of Matthew, the other one, the lens of Luke. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first... Let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 and following. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. I've been thinking about something uh, at least over these past few weeks, but even before that, I've thought about it periodically and, and I've hesitated to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it today. I don't think Jesus would make it as a pastor. I don't believe he would. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no, you, you shouldn't say stuff like that about Jesus. Uh, or, or you're thinking, well, Jesus is, isn't Jesus God? Yes, he is. Hasn't he always been God? Yes, he has. Won't he always be God? And the answer is yes to that as well. Therefore, if he's God, he can do anything, can't he? And yes, theoretically, yes, he can. But I don't think he'd make a good pastor. In fact, I don't think they'd keep him very long. I mean, I'm just basing that on some of the things he said to people especially at a time of of crisis, or some of the things that he did. For instance, let me just give you an example of something that Jesus did that uh, if he were a pastor, especially today, he would not get away with it for very long. Uh, The story's in John chapter 11. Uh, He's in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Palestine, and he receives a call from one of his best friends, Actually, three of his best friends, it's uh, two sisters and a brother, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, lived down close to Jerusalem in the suburb of Bethany. And Lazarus has gotten terminally sick, very sick. 
he will die. He hasn't died yet, but uh, they have called Jesus to come. Let's just put it this way. They've called him to come to the hospital because Lazarus is terminally ill. And Jesus doesn't go. He does not go. He doesn't move. He tells his disciples, they're a little concerned about it. He said, don't worry about it. Uh, We're not going. And so they don't go. And a, a, a day goes by, another day goes by, and a few days go by. And finally, Lazarus dies and Jesus has not come there. Now, now that alone, that alone, in the eyes of a lot of people, would get Jesus let go of for, uh, as, as far as a pastor. But it gets worse. Lazarus dies, and so Mary and Martha send another call to Jesus. They said, we want you to come. Lazarus has died. We're trying to plan the memorial service. I'm paraphrasing here just a little bit. We're trying to plan the memorial service, and we'd like for you to speak at the memorial service. You're, you're the closest preacher we've had. You, you've been closest, closer to us than any pastor we've had. We'd like for you to come and speak at the funeral. And Jesus doesn't go. Would you like that? You folks killing me. I mean, you know, we, we Christians, we just don't want to answer a question like that. Would you like it if Jesus did that? Oh, I'm not answering that question. I'll guarantee you we wouldn't like it. He didn't show up. In fact, the, the, the funeral came and went and Jesus didn't show up. I don't know who they got to speak, but he didn't show up. As a matter of fact, John tells us in John chapter 11 that Jesus doesn't arrive until after Lazarus has been in the grave, count them, four days. Then Jesus comes. I'm just going to tell you, uh, he, he wouldn't make a good pastor. He makes a good Savior and Lord, he just wouldn't make a good pastor. And then there's some things that he said. Take, for instance, what you find here in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke uh, chapter 9. You have, what you have is, if you'll picture it this way, you have, you have Jesus at an invitation. It's a worship service, and let's say he's through preaching. He's standing out, out front, and he's offering an invitation for people to come. Some people to come and receive him as his Savior. Some people to come follow him. Some people to come join the church. Just picture it that way. And there are three people who volunteer. They come up to volunteer. One of them says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Another one, Jesus says, follow me. He says, I'll be glad to follow you, but first let me go bury my father. He just died. Let me, let me bury him. A third one says, hey, I want to follow you. Let me first go say goodbye to my family. Now, listen, this is a pastor's dream. You preach your heart out. And when you get up to sing the invitation, you stand down here. And it's a pastor's dream for people to genuinely Come forward making life-changing decisions in their life. It's a pastor's dream. So what does Jesus do? He offends them and sends them back. What is he doing? Why would he do that? I mean, to the first person who comes up, that person says, I mean, it's what every pastor wants to hear. I'll follow you everywhere you go, anywhere you want to go. And Jesus said, well, you won't have a place to stay. Foxes have a place to stay, uh, birds have a place to stay, but I don't have a place to stay. So, you know, another one comes up, Jesus says, follow me. And the guy says, I will follow you, Lord, but um, 
I, my dad just died, and I've got to go bury my dad. Listen, that's not an unreasonable request, is it? Do you think it is? I know, y'all not going to answer a word. Y'all are crazy people. I'll follow you, but my dad just died. I need to go bury him. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Another one says, I'm going to follow you. I want to follow you. But I need to go tell my wife and my children. I need to go tell my mom and dad. I need to go tell my husband first. And Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not even fit for the kingdom. He turns them all away. They're coming forward in in droves and he's turning them all away. What on earth is he doing? Why is he saying this? Let the dead bury their own dead. How could Jesus be so callous to someone who is hurting? In the past 10 days, I've, I've, I've been in four funerals. And I, I wouldn't have dreamed of saying what Jesus said to any of those four families. But Jesus did. I've got to go first and say goodbye to my family. Is that an unreasonable request? I mean, think about it. Most of you guys who are married, look up here at me. You, you leave to follow the Lord and you don't tell her? You're about to meet the Lord, brother. You, got, you, you need to go back and say, look, here's, here's what I'm going to do. The Lord's called me and, you know, you just don't hightail it out without telling somebody. You got to give a two-week notice at work and stuff like that. Jesus is not winning any brownie points here. There's something that's important here, though, that I want you to see, and that is... Before verse 57 in Luke 9, there is a verse, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that is a pivotal verse if you're studying the Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters. There is a verse, chapter 9, verse 51, that is pivotal. It is a turning point in Luke's Gospel. And and it's a verse that says this, Jesus, from this time forward, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Before chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus has been up in Galilee the whole time, the whole time. Beginning with verse 51, he has his face set toward Jerusalem. And from that point on, Luke Luke describes him, Jesus and his disciples as being on the way. They're on the way. They're on the way. On the way to what? On the way to a crucifixion. On the way to a mock trial. On the way to the humiliation of Jesus. On the way to being rejected by everybody that he knew, even those closest to him. And he knows he's headed that way. That's the way to which he's headed. And everybody's coming up saying, oh, I want to follow you. I'll leave everything to follow you. I'll follow you everywhere you want to go. And Jesus, it's as if he's saying, do you realize where I'm going? Because I'm going to die. Are you? And so Jesus uses this rather, we would say, callous language. What does it mean? Let me say uh, four things very quickly. Number one, 
One thing that he's saying is this, that the difference between resolute rejection of Jesus and half-hearted obedience to Jesus, you know what the difference between those two is? Zero. Zero. Now, if you back up a little bit, you're going to find that in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 52, something happens. They're up in Galilee, and verse 52 says, And Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. You know who lives in Samaria? Those rascal Samaritans. You know who the Samaritans are? They're, they're, they're half-breeds. They're, they're, they're a mixed people. The Jews looked at them, and they hated, the Jews hated Gentiles, who were the non, non-Jewish people, but, but the Samaritans were less than those Gentile dogs, and they lived in Samaria. Normally, when a Jew, a Jewish person was leaving Galilee and coming toward Jerusalem, they would cross over east across the Jordan River, totally avoid the shortcut of Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. But Jesus says, no, we, we need to go through Samaria. And so he sent messengers on ahead into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Did you get that? In Samaria, there was resolute rejection of Jesus. Now, Luke follows that up with three unnamed people who come up actually saying they want to follow Jesus. They're expressing an interest in following Jesus. And Jesus turns them away. You know why? They were were kind of half-heartedly wanting to obey Jesus. They had an interest in Jesus, but it was half-hearted. And and I want to get back to my statement here. The difference between the resolute rejection of Jesus by the Samaritans and the half-hearted interest in Jesus by those three unnamed people, the difference between those two is zero. And that's a very important distinction because in our day, including in our church, as, in the, as is the case in all churches, there are a few people who are wholeheartedly committed, but there are a lot of people who are just interested. But they're not committed. I see some of you getting a little bit bored, so let me, let me go with this. Did y'all realize that Beanie Babies are coming back in style? Did you know that? Just thought I'd talk about that. Beanie Babies. Y'all know Beanie Babies? How many of you knew that Beanie Babies were coming back in style? Not new ones. Chris, I know you knew it because I said it in the first sermon. And you paid it. Not, not, the, not new Beanie Babies, the old ones. Some of the old rare ones are coming back in vogue. I saw this on uh, 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 network news this past week. I, this is a true story. I'm telling you the truth. For instance, there is a Princess Diana beanie baby. It's a purple beanie baby. I think it's got a little heart on it. I'm not sure about that. If you find one of the first edition Princess Diana beanie babies that still has the Thai company, TY company tag on it, you know how much that bad boy's worth? You know how much people are asking for it on eBay? $75,000. I just saw three women look over at their husband. Honey, when we get home, you're going up there in that attic and get them two boxes of Beanie Babies out of there. You're going to bring it down here. We're going to pay off our mortgage with them Beanie Babies. (laughs) So I went on eBay when I saw that, and I thought, there's no way. 
I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give $2 for a Beanie Baby, even if it was Princess Diana. I wouldn't give $2 for that. Somebody's wanting to give $75,000. Somebody's lost their mind. I couldn't believe it. I go on eBay and I find it for $75,000. There's another one for $152,000. I didn't say it was selling for that. I said it was listing for it. I know that's a big difference. The one that's $75,000, would you believe that nobody has bid on it? I know you do believe that. But let me tell you this, over 60 people have clicked that they're watching it. Those of you who know eBay, you know that you can either click to bid on a product or you can click just to watch it. Did y'all know that? You know it now. Listen, you know why there's more than 60 people who've clicked to watch that $75,000 Beanie Baby and there's zero people who've clicked to bid on it? You want me to tell you what the difference is? Watching it costs you nothing. Oh, man, you can click watch and it won't ever cost you a thing. But you click bid. And, brother, you have obligated yourself, if you win that bid, to pay that money for that product. Nobody clicked to bid it, but 60-some-odd people have clicked to watch it. You know what's happening in, in churches today? You know what's happening in our world today? We have a lot of people watching Jesus, but not enough people bidding on him. Not enough people are committed to him all out. We want to be watchers. But you see, Jesus... This is the second part. Jesus calls people to a radical commitment. If you're looking for comfort, check out. If you're looking for something easy, if you're looking for the easy way, you might as well get out because Jesus does not call us to comfort. He calls us to die. He calls us to a serious commitment, a radical commitment. And this text reveals that Jesus call to us is not only serious, it's urgent. You don't have time to bury the dead. You don't have time to say goodbye. This is an urgent call. So, since Jesus is calling us to radical commitment, radical commitment sometimes requires radical calls to commitment. Think about this five-part series that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. There are times when Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother and daddy, you can't be my disciple. If you don't hate your spouse and your children, you cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? He's saying it's serious. If you are a person who deals with lust and you don't think it's serious, it's so serious as this, Jesus says, you ought to gouge your eye out and throw it away. If you have a problem with taking what's not yours, I'll tell you how serious it is. Cut your hand off and throw it away. No, he didn't mean for us to literally do those things, but he was telling us how serious it is. But Lord, I've got to say goodbye. You don't have time. Lord, I've got to bury my dad. You don't have time. You don't realize how urgent this is. You see, if anybody else but Jesus were making these kind of outrageous statements, we would write them off, the statements off as inappropriate, and the person as a lunatic. But Jesus was not a lunatic. He was simply serious. And I'll tell you why. Because he knew where he was headed. And so many times when we 
half-heartedly volunteer for the Lord, we have no idea where he's really headed, nor where he is leading us. That is where we are headed. And so finally, let me just say this. Any commitment less than total commitment is blind to where Jesus is headed. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to a mock trial. He's headed to be humiliated. He is headed to the cross. His task is serious. It is radical. It will cost him his life. And so, since it's going to cost him his life, he asks for no less from you and me. That's right. And we say, well, that seems awfully unreasonable to me. I'm willing to follow Jesus, but as long as it means coming and, and to church and, 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 I don't know, trying to live halfway decent, that's what I'm talking about. No, Jesus calls us to more than that. Jesus calls us to deeper fishing than that. And if we think that it's unreasonable, let let me just say this. Jesus calls us to what is humanly unreasonable. Because that's the only way we can give him the credit that he deserves. You see, Jesus doesn't mean to be callous here, although it sounds like he is. But rather, once again, he's using this exaggerated language to push a major point. And that point is that, that following him takes great commitment. You see, the task of following Jesus means that we need to prioritize him above everything else in life, including the the things that we would normally put a priority on, including the relationships that we would normally prize so highly. Jesus is saying, you must give yourself to me first. It's outrageous. What outrageous thing is God asking you to do? Oh, I know the answer to that. Nothing. He's not asking you to do it. He's telling you to do it. Jeff Collinsworth was in the first service this morning. His son, Nate, you know, was in the service. He came up to me and he said, Your sermon reminded me of something that uh, Nathan's army sergeant told him. He said, Son, we're not calling you to volunteer, we're volunteering you. That's it. Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me, he says. Let's pray. Lord, you make us so uncomfortable sometimes. You use some words that nobody else would get away with. We let you get away with them because you are Jesus. We wouldn't let anybody else get away with them. We see them, we view them as unreasonable, and yet you keep saying to us, do you think that I called you to something reasonable? You think I'm calling you to something easy, something you can actually do? Lord, you're calling us to an outrageous commitment. And so many of us are content just clicking the watch button and never really committing ourselves to bid. Lord, I pray that might start to change right now. In Jesus' name, amen.